0: Morning church. It is a privilege to be able to speak to you all today. I'm gonna to be preaching from a Bible, from the Word of God. This is a book that has been telling stories for over two thousand years and I'm hearing it now. No, but we've been preaching from the same book for two thousand years and it hasn't got old yet. And um there's still life in this book to to hear. So I'm privileged and it's an honor to be a part of the next chapter of the the kingdom here today because it's going to be open today. It's going to be open next week until Jesus comes back and we're going to be learning. So I'm just going to pray for us, a simple prayer. Lord, we thank you that we are able to be free to worship you, to read from your word with liberation. We know that there's some parts in the world where where your Bible's open, it's a very dangerous thing It's very challenging to be a Christian in certain areas. But right now in England, we have the freedom to worship you freely. So our prayer is simple, Lord. Just change us. Make us look more like your son. In the name of Jesus, I've prayed. All right, then. This is interesting. I don't know how many of you have actually been up here. But, like, you can all see me. But I I can see all your faces very clearly. I can see your facial expressions. Some of you are, like, proud mums, like, And some of you are like, thinking about dinner already. (laughs) But um, without further ado, the title, for those of you taking notes, is Delight and Satisfaction. It took me a while to come up with a title that I was happy with, one that I felt really caught the heart of what I feel like the scriptures are trying to say here. But I feel like Delight and Satisfaction captures it well, and we get that from the base scripture of today, which is Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. I'm reading from the New King James. Matthew chapter 30, 13, verses 44 to 46. It's a parable that Jesus is telling his disciples. Um, Jesus was teaching a multitude, and then his disciples came to him in another location where they could talk to him properly, and Jesus starts telling them what he sees the kingdom as. Okay, okay the words of Jesus to his disciples. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for his joy over it, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he found one pearl of great price went and sold all he had and bought it. A drink of water, please. In many ways, parables are like proverbs. They're these metaphorical devices used to convey a truth, some kind of moral lesson or principle that informs our reality. And the essence of this parable was two, two stories of one person being in a field searching and coming across something so precious, so uniquely valuable, but in a moment, they recognize and are convinced without a second's doubt or hesitation to think, is this the right decision or not? They are like, I need to get this. Any means necessary. And they sell all they have, give up all they own, but acquire this one thing. And although this is a parable about a man seeing or finding a treasure or pearl with great value, the actual intent of the parable is focused on on the man's reaction, not the actual valuation of the parable. Give me a second. It's all right. Delicious. All right. So it's not about the valuation of this treasure. It's more about the man's response. That's what Jesus is trying to to highlight here. Jesus is using a simile to to contrast a reality with a feeling, the kingdom of heaven is like a man in a field who comes across something of great value so when jesus is using this feeling what feeling is he trying to get across with this story it's like it's like what in a word what is this feeling what is it about the kingdom of heaven that is that is best described as a man finding something in a field and selling everything he has to attain it. Satisfaction. Jesus is using this parable to convey satisfaction. A merchant in a field, a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he has and bought it. Somehow this merchant, an expert in finer things, someone who's dedicated his life to accumulating things, possessions, See something in a field that serves as a remedy for something that's been plaguing mankind since the beginning of time. Dissatisfaction. If you see a baby crying, what's the first thing you do? Here you go, whatever's in your hand, you just give it to the baby. It stops crying. And then you back away. And in a moment of pure inexperience, you bring your phone out of your pocket, and what does the baby do? I want this, give me that, I want what's in your hand. The baby can't articulate that it's now dissatisfied with whatever's in its hand, and it wants something new, but that's what we know has happened. It's lost interest in whatever you gave it before, and now it's like, I'm on to the next thing, give me more, give me more. And that's not a problem or issue that goes away with age. In fact, as we mature, it develops with us. How many of you remember first getting the iPhone 6? Do you remember when you were showing off to your friends, my phone can do this, your phone can't do this? Look at the quality of the pictures, and then the minute the... Apple released the advert for iPhone 7, and it was like... <laughs> exactly like the baby. And then you get it, and you're showing off again, and then the iPhone 8 comes out. In fact, it's almost as if the world, the economy of the whole world, is built on us being dissatisfied. Companies spend billions on marketing every year to put adverts on TV to make you buy stuff based on your dissatisfaction. Go home and turn on the TV, what's the first thing you'll see? Some advert where some guy is driving like a rickety car and he's like timid and he's embarrassed and then in the distance there's this guy, you know, chiseled, cheekbones can cut glass and he's just like brings out a key from his pocket, presses a button, the key, the car drives to him itself, opens the door and he's just so happy. And then some voice comes in and he says, you want to be happy, you want to be satisfied, then you need this car. Some guy without a watch, what's the time? Anybody got the time? And then some guy with a Rolex is like, Pardon? Oh, it's just (laughs) 5.30. And it's just like, it's ridiculous, but that's our reality. That's the human condition. The world is almost revolving and based around our dissatisfaction, our capacity to not be satisfied. So as I read this parable about a merchant, a man who's an expert in finer things, finding something that deals with this problem, satisfaction, find something that is so precious, So valuable, he gives up everything he's ever accumulated to get this one thing. I have to take a step back and acknowledge Jesus is making some bold claims here about the kingdom. Well, it begs the question, what do we think will satisfy us? What is it about our lives that we think cures the mundane? What do we think will help us with our discontentment or make us happy? What are we always talking about? If I just had this thing, if I just had a different job, if I just lost weight, if I, if I, if I. You see, the problem with us is, and our dissatisfaction is we're constantly putting our stock in things that we're never de- God never designed to satisfy us. We all have an awareness, this innate kind of subconscious tugging in our hearts that tells us this can't be it. There's something more. Unfortunately, we translate that into things and possessions. And if I just had this, if this just happened, I would be satisfied. See, I'm a footwear guy. If you ever wanted to buy me a gift, let me help you out now. It's trainers. Probably Nike, probably Adidas, nothing else. I love trainers. I remember when I... I saved up enough of my own money to get my first pair of trainers in the box. I remember I put it under my bed, and I went to sleep. I couldn't sleep. I was tussling and turning. I'd get the box out, look at the trainers, just bring them out and just like, like two living babies, I'd wash them and they wasn't even dirty. I would obsess over these trainers. Long story short, I'm saying I know what it's like to be precious about something. I know what it's like to look at something and be like, yes, I have this thing. But have we ever been able to look at the gospel, been able to look at the kingdom of heaven, and have the same attitude of preciousness, of satisfaction? With this parable, Jesus is looking at me, bold in the face, and saying, "Sanya, the things that you cling to, the things that rock your world, are you sure of these?" It's almost as if, like he's accusing me of like mild Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is where you become obsessed or in love with something that abuses or constantly lets you down. So when I chase trainers, and when I constantly go to these things I know fail to satisfy me, and fall in love with them and consistently pursue these things that are always letting me down, it's a form of Stockholm Syndrome. When I constantly go to these things, whatever it may be, for me it was trainers, maybe for some it could be cars, it could be houses, you fill in the blanks. Being liked. Money, sex—all of these things that we constantly crave and think satisfy, but always, always fail to give lasting satisfaction. Someone who craves money, what do they? When they get money, what do they want? More money. If you crave being liked, what do you want? What do you want? More people to like you. If you crave sex, what do you want? Who ever had sex once and was like, "Yes, I'm done. I don't need that anymore." No, you want more sex. You get experimental. That didn't satisfy, I'm going to have sex with this person. That didn't satisfy, I'm going to change gender. It's this problem that we constantly fall in love with the thing and pursue this thing that fails to satisfy over and over again. What do I wake up in the morning? And am I driven by? What am I waking up and constantly wanting more of? And has it ever satisfied me? Have I ever gone to bed, woke up with that thing, and not wanted it because I have it? Or am I constantly seeking the same thing that fails to satisfy? See, the paradox here is Jesus is using a pearl. In his parable, he's using a pearl, something that people can recognize as precious, a physical possession to point to the immaterial. He's relaying the kingdom, which is immaterial, to something we recognize that can be like, oh, that's meant to be precious so that we can, in our, in our heads, understand that Jesus is trying to co- paint a completely different picture of what we should be see, perceiving as precious? Have you ever looked at the gospel? Have you ever, ever read the Bible, the good news of Jesus, and thought, this is precious, I am satisfied in my soul, like the way you would, your physical possessions or things you've ever craved? Has it ever met you with that same satisfaction, with that same desire in the morning, says, I want to know you more, Lord, How many times have I turned to the things that delight my flesh for temporal satisfaction knowing that there's a steady everlasting satisfaction that comes from knowing Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, the good news, the gospel. What is the kingdom of heaven? Sounds arbitrary and just abstract, the kingdom of heaven. What is it? What is the good news of Jesus? What is it to be saved? See, if I'm in a burning building and the fires are really starting to grip on me and I'm on the top floor, there's no escape, I'm literally going to die within seconds. And then in a moment of heroism, a man breaks into the window, gaps me out, grapples me down. I'm like, wow, this fireman saved my life. I was facing imminent death and I was saved by this fireman. If I'm deathly ill in a hospital, and the doctors are clueless. What's wrong with this guy? They've given me five days to live. And then all of a sudden, an epiphany comes upon a doctor. Oh, I recognize this. I read it in such-and-such such a book. Give him this prescription, do this surgery. And then I look at that doctor after my surgery, I'm like, wow, you saved my life. If I'm in a boxing ring, I'm getting pummeled. It looks like I'm about to go down. And just as he lands, the final blow, the bell goes, ding, ding, ding. I've been saved by the bell. But what's the problem with all those stories of being saved? I'll give you a minute, I'm gonna drink water. They saved my life, but I'm gonna die, again. The fireman saved my life, but I can go home, on my way home, I can get hit by a car. I could die of old age. The doctor saved my life, but he didn't give me medicine that made me immortal. I'll be in a hospital again. So when the Bible talks about being saved, what is this salvation that the Bible talks about? What is the difference the Bible talks about when it says you can be saved? See, Jesus saves us from sin. Jesus saves us from hell into a reconciliation with God. You see, in my natural state, I'm at enmity with God the Father. In my natural state, I'm a sinner. And sin and holiness can't mix. They can't share a space. If my sin is darkness, God's holiness is light. If this room didn't have the lights on, darkness would be abound. The minute the light comes on, darkness has to leave. And God's holiness is ablaze like the sun. Any darkness that comes near it is obliterated. But what Jesus achieved for us on that cross... Was he died in place of us, giving his, giving his holiness for us in exchange for our sinfulness. In effect, he bought my righteousness, bought my holiness and gave it to me for free. So that when I approach the father, I can have relationship and not be, I can know the father, I can get near to him because I have a holiness to approach him with that was afforded to me by Jesus, which is the good news. You see, as I was studying this parable, I started to realize this merchant in the field who's an expert in finer things, looking for something, and he finds a pearl of great value. That's not us. That's not me and you. We don't fit that description. We're not the main story. We're not the main character in this story. Three reasons. One, the kingdom of God can't be bought. It can't be traded for. can't be negotiated Two, I don't even have anything I can barter and be like, I'll give you this in exchange for the kingdom. All the things I do that are good are really selfish anyway. Like, without God, I cannot please God. So I have nothing that God would find appealing to trade. And three, the kingdom, the good news, what Jesus used on the cross for us is free. It's a It's a gift of God's grace for free. I don't buy it with money. I don't trade for it with things. I don't earn it by having a good moral standard of myself. Oh, well, I didn't steal today. I didn't swear. I stopped smoking. I, 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 Surely I can trade this for the kingdom. That's not how it works. In this parable, the man in the field is Jesus. And the treasure, it's the church. It's us. And i got scriptures to prove it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. I'll read it. Jesus, who, though in the form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born of the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death onto a cross. Jesus is represented here in the, as the man in the field, as, a man, as God, the, Jesus the son of God, in heaven, with the inheritance of all the riches of heaven, being counted is as equal with God, traded all of that to be born in a manger somewhere. You never read of Jesus here being royalty. He traded everything he has, status, wealth, everything, even to the point where he traded his own life. He gave his life not just to die, but to die on a cross. If you've read or watched The Passion of the Christ, it gives a picture of how gruesome that death had to be. Tortured and whipped and died. He gave everything in order to have this treasure, the church. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy That was set before him endured the cross. We read in the parable parable, that the man, with joy in his heart, sold everything in order to attain this treasure, this pearl. No moment's hesitation. Is this the right move? Instant joy, instant confidence. I need this. Happily sold all he had. Nothing was sad to let go of. I'm going to miss that. Not a chance. Saw it and was like, everything falls in comparison to this. And Jesus was able to endure the cross, the pain, the scrutiny, being embarrassed, being a servant, dying because of the joy, according to the book of Hebrews, that was set before him in having his church, obtaining us. This is the good news. This is what Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. The gospel We are loved beyond our own comprehension. Naturally, in our in our minds, there's a part of this that shouldn't make sense to us. For God to go through what He went through to obtain us, Jesus gave everything that He had, including His life, to obtain us. I remember when I was younger. I used to, there was this plug in my house that used to spark when you put the plug in. It was very dangerous. It, it, was, just, it was the most gnarly thing in the house. And I used to be scared to charge my phone at night sometimes because I thought, this is the time. This, this is it. This, I'm going to plug my phone into charge it, and I'm going to get shocked to death. And I lied today. I didn't pray today. I'm going to go to hell. And that was my view of the gospel. That was the gospel one that I, I believed upon which really did more harm than good. It was such a poor view of Jesus and the gospel. It was this perspective that God is just this person, you know, kind of, he can't wait for me to fail so he can send me to hell. I knew he was going to flop. Get out of here. But when we read of this parable, when we read of the level of sacrifice, of abandon that Jesus had to obtain this pearl, do you think after shading it all, he gets the pearl, he picks it up, and he looks at it and he's like, oh wait, hold on, there's a little stain, I don't want it anymore. That doesn't make sense. He saw the pearl as unequaled in value to anything. Anything that you have in your life right now that you think God can't love me because of this, consider what Jesus went through to have The church, to have his bride, to have his people, the people he's elected. Do you feel like that one thing, after all he went through to get this church, would stop him from loving it? God doesn't love this future version of you where you're perfect. This version of you in ten years, where you don't do this thing that you struggle with anymore, because we don't earn God's love; we're just loved. God loves you now. He loves your process of sanctification, and I do want to, I do want to say this parable is still about us, in that we have to receive this kingdom with our own estimation of abandon. We don't just are loved by God, so we we relax in our and be um, happy with not being able to change and become more holy for God. We do meet it with our own level of sacrifice. But as we look at ourselves, God loves you now. He loves your process. He's not waiting for you to become perfect before he's like, all right, then now that was worth it. He has no regrets about his, his transaction. What he gave to have you, no regrets. And I just have two questions now. One, is that the gospel which you believed on? Is that the gospel that you allow allow to satisfy you? This love, this perfect love, steady, established, unchanging, of a man who gave, a person who gave everything to have you, It doesn't change it's not like physical love where today you know they love you and tomorrow you're questioning it is this the gospel in which you believe because this gospel satisfies all the things that you try and get love from that constantly fail you is nothing like the gospel and two have you heard of the gospel at all Because guys, there is bad news. If you don't believe on Jesus, then this doesn't apply to you. If you haven't got Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're not that pearl. And you will go through that downward spiral of continuing to seek things that fail to satisfy you. But in this parable, there's an open invitation for you to receive this love, to receive this satisfaction. So I'm just going to pray. Father, there's so much about your love, there's so much about ourselves that doesn't seem to add up naturally. Your love for us and our perspective of ourselves, we probably think there's so much that uh, is unlovable, but yet you you stay and you stand with confidence and say, nope, I gave everything to have this precious pearl, unequaled in value, and I have no regrets about it. Lord, if we should ever really truly grasp this concept of being ultimately loved by someone who gave his entire life to attain... Lord, we can get untold bounds of satisfaction. There's so much about our lives that will change. There's so much deep darkness, dark things about us that will begin to be eradicated by the light of your holiness when it infects our lives. Our cravings will change. Our delights will change. And we'll begin to look more like your son. So I pray, Lord God, that by your Holy Spirit, we would look at your gospel and be satisfied. In the name of your son, I prayed. Amen.